0: Welcome to the Deck 4 Podcast. There's a companion newsletter for each episode. You can find out more about the series, our friends and supporters at georgefairbrother.com and follow us on Facebook at Deck 4 Publishing. Hope you enjoy the program. Hello and thank you for listening. We're back with part two of our conversation with Oliver Crocker. 2008. Um, Some very interesting projects going on then, also um, with some people that were very pivotal to your career. Uh, And obviously, we'll talk about Frank Williams, the Frank Williams story. But can we perhaps open by having a bit of a chat about Tanner? and also murder by appointment.
1: I went to York St. John's University, which was a spin-off then of Leeds University. I went to school in Beverly, Yorkshire, where there was no such thing as film and TV or media studies. It just wasn't there. And I'd always grown up watching films with my mum and dad. Like, every Saturday night was film night. Moved around a lot as a kid, so I like, only really had my brother... Like, as a friend, every three years, we'd, like, move on my dad's work. And so you would just start again. So we only ever had my brother. So, like, when I wanted to make films, like, I started off when I was 10 making, like, Doctor Who little short films with me and my brother playing all the characters because we had no friends. So we just play everyone. Um And, you know, this was all on, like, high eight. You know, there was no editing. You know, if we if we made a mistake, we'd have to rewind the tape and do it all crudely with my mum being our camera operator, you know. So, like, by the time um, I went to uni and did uh, theatre, film and television studies, dropped theatre after the first year, even though I got all my best grades in that, it was really working in TV that interested me. Like, I was in three hours a week, George. It was such a <laughs> doddle. It was... I was so disappointed in the second year. I had nothing to do. I literally went in for, like, one lecture on a Monday and two on a Tuesday, and that was it. So I thought, well, there's all this gear sat there gathering dust. Because the campus was... I lived in York, you know, got uni digs, and everyone else off my course just went home for the summer. But the campus was still open, so I thought, well, there's all this gear sat here, and I went and asked him, if I made a film... Could I use this equipment? And they were like, "Yeah, sure." I thought, okay. So, Mervyn Cumming, who was my mentor, he he was a television director, a, a, te- a TV director, BAFTA nominated. He came in to do a lecture, just one lecture, and he he had floor plans of the Coronation Street Rovers Return, his shot lists, and I was just like, "Wow, here's someone who's actually done it," because you know normally they'd have people in you know, uh, uh, more corporate Mm. sort of stuff. And like, who wants to come and help on a corporate video or who wants to come and help on an archaeological dig for like two weeks on the Yorkshire Dales where like, you won't be paid, you'll be intense. Everyone's putting their hands up and I was just like, well, what is this film and telly? It doesn't feel like film and telly. So when Merv came in, I was having my, art, my hand up all the time, asking questions throughout this lecture. And there were people behind me going, shut up, Ollie! we want to go to the union. <laughs> and I, I went and uh, got Mervyn's details at the end of it and said, can I keep in touch with you? And so I sent Merv my Tanner script, which I probably wrote in like three weeks. All, I, I made two action films at school called Suede and Suede 2 Counter-Strike. They were like action movies about a secret agent called Frank Suede. And it had all my mates in it. And uh, we'd get teachers to do little cameos and stuff. And so Tanner was a character from the second one. And it was all my mates in the summer holidays. Like this is when we were like 17. So some of the boys had just started to drive. And Rich Joblin, who played Tanner, was like, I think, the first to get a car. This black Renault Clio, which we used to like, you know, mosey around Beverly like with Phil Collins on thinking we were like the (laughs) bee's knees four absolute plonkers, really. And so I wrote I wrote this film very because he was so enthusiastic because, you know, it's not like we had a budget or a real plan. Some days we'd like Richard ring me up. This was before I went to uni. Just go, you're right. Oh, should we do some filming today? Yeah, great. And we just make we'd make up a car chase and we'd go and do it. You know, there's no permits or anything. So there's like shots in Sway 2 of Rich following another, another lad who now is a police driver driving through these little Yorkshire villages, hanging out of the windows, firing guns at each other, just completely illegal and unplanned. And like, I remember one time we persuaded someone else to bring a car and I was like out of their sunroof back before aircon days, no seat back on, just filming like the free car. But it was all the, that's the thing. I was just like, making little set pieces, really. There was no real story, <laughs> no real sort of plan. That that came afterwards. And it was the same with Tanner, to be perfectly honest. With Tanner, I, it was basically frustration at not having enough to do at uni. And I also wanted to try and do it properly, which is ironic because the script, I was probably still writing the script while I was making the thing, but I worked out I could shoot it in like 20 days. Over like a three-month period. And um, I thought, I'd like to get some real actors in. Uh, It started with Henry Ayrton, who was my... my, I I had a girlfriend in sixth form, and her dad had been an extra in Emmerdale. And I was far more interested in talking to Henry than I was this girl. I was just like, oh, can I see your old tapes, Henry, of you in Emmerdale? Like, you know. And I remember once there was a shot of him... Going down a lift, he and I think he counted change in his pocket. Looked at his watch, adjusted his tie. He did everything in this shot of this these people coming down a lift. It was like the busiest extra acting <laughs> you've ever seen. And so I wrote him a little part, and he knew Bernard Wrigley, who who's done, who's had a wonderful career, like working on Phoenix Knights, and he's done a lot with Steve Coogan. So my my entire objective was to try and get one real actor someone with an imdb page in my film that was my only aim and i ended up getting three because T- tony Sober said yes bernard wrigley said yes via henry and frank frank's character i had to write for him be- because by the time frank got back in touch tony had- tony and bernard had already shot their parts which i i I'd again imagined one of them would say yes but they all said Yes, to sort of, you know, helping out this young filmmaker, you know, for a favour. T- Tony, I wrote to via his agent. I still remember being, I- I'd i met Tony, he was doing a play um, in York and a friend of mine from uni uh, was his dresser. And she said, oh, I'm doing this play at the moment at the York uh, Opera House and uh, Tony Asoba's in it. I was like, what? Tony Sober from Porridge and mm. from the Demon Headmaster and Doctor Who. And I said, can I go and meet him? And she said, yeah. So I went and met him and we had a nice long chat. And he said, well, if you're ever doing anything, just let me know. And true to his word, he, he said yes. And he came up and stayed in Beverly at my mum and dad's house. This was the thing. It was also shoestring. He actually stayed in my old bedroom. And like my dad cooked monkfish. My dad had never cooked monkfish for anyone in his life. But with Tony Asoba coming around. Suddenly his monkfish coming out. And yeah. He, he, he rolled out the red carpet for Tony. And Frank had opened my school's Summer Fate in 1998. And so when I was doing Tanner. I rang up my old headmaster. And said Frank Williams. How do you know him? And he said well he's a friend of a friend. And I said well I'm doing this film. Do you think he'd be interested? And here's a slice of fate. I changed my mobile phone. After making that call, suddenly realised whilst making Tano, I never heard back from uh, Mr. Broadbent, my headmaster. Oh, I changed my number. I better put the old SIM card in my phone. And there was this voicemail saying, yeah, Frank would like to do your film. If you call me, I'll give you his number.
0: Well, that is fate, isn't it? Well, I,
1: I called him back then two weeks later and he said, Oliver, this is my last acted headmaster because I have literally just retired. I am closing down my office. If I'd been half hour later, I'd have missed him. Um, and he gave, and, and it's big because not only did Frank come up and do the film, I then made the documentary. We made Murder by Appointment. Mm. I also lived with Frank for a year when I first moved to London. I don't know if you mm. knew that. Um, so I was Frank's lot. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so, interesting. Yeah, lots nice. of lots of.
0: Oh well, wow. the I lodger. I was the
1: lodger and a ha- yeah. very happy. Again, it's all. My whole, the whole first 10 years of my sort of TV film life was completely un, unplanned. It all just one thing led to another, and including living with Frank. Yeah, Tanner was just, fu- I mean, uh, it was 75, or it was 74 minutes long because there was a, a film festival, Solitaire, who'd been in, who was in the film, who I'd made a film with at, um, like in in Beverly I'd wanted to be an actor that's what I wanted to do initially and we'd both done this um sort of film being shot in Hull (laughs) which was about you know end of the world sort of stuff so I'd remembered Solitaire I bumped into Solitaire down the street I said oh I'm making a film I'm at uni now do you want to be in my film and bless her she came and did like a week and then I said well I need you to come back and she came back and she'd had hair extensions I was like what have you done she was like, I thought it would look good I was like but I've shot half of your scenes. Oh, no. So, I, yeah. uh, and, and it has all happened. It, look, shot is basically set in like two days. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, you know, we had no... It's not like I was paying any of these people, so I couldn't really give her that hard a time. And she'd lost her costume. That's right. She, she'd gone out clubbing and, 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 her, and her white top she came back with a different white top. So her, her costume and her hair just changed. But anyway, you know, you learn, you learn these things. So she'd been in a film, a, one best film at Swansea Bay Film Festival. So I thought, oh, well, I'll enter Swansea Bay Film Festival. And there was a, Best, best. You could, you know, either go for best film or best film under seventy-five minutes. I thought, well, if I make a seventy-four-minute film in that category, I'll have a good chance. You know, that's just, this is this is a thing. There was absolutely no real rhyme nor reason to my thought process, but it it went there and it got nominated for best film. And Mervyn and I went. It's it, but it's completely. I've, I've no idea why, because it was. They must have been short on numbers, because like these shots in Tano. You say, will it ever be streamed? No, it won't be. I mean, there's, uh, I broke the lens <laughs> midway through the film. And so the, the, the macro lens was bust. And so these shots were, it just looks like it shot through mud. Um, you know, it, it, it looks awful. But I thought I could do it all myself. And and, and I didn't think to sort of ask anyone. I mean, Mervyn came and directed The Last Day. I said, can you, as a thank you, I was like, I'll give you 50 quid. We come and like be my guest director because I thought that way I can say from Bafta nominee Mervyn coming, you know, and um, bless him, he came and uh, you know he he storyboarded the day that was Frank's scene, so Merv came and directed Frank's scenes. So we had this little the three of us. F- Frank used to say, "Well, I like this because it's youth and experience." Sort of combined Ollie's enthusiasm and Mervyn's experience. And so
0: a little bit of shooting Tanner is in the Frank Williams story, isn't it? The scene where Frank's at the desk on the phone and that's right. He's sort of the, the villain. That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause we shot that in the August and then that's that. Then we, we shot the documentary in the November. That was when we were back at uni. Well, that was the thing. You had to do six months of the course, you had to do an internship. Now, I was like, and the options were you go to BBC Look North and, and wash dishes or, you know, you, you go and work in local radio station, whatever. So I said, can I do my internship with Mervyn and make a documentary with him? And they were like, uh, yeah, OK. So we shot that in three days and I did the editing and then I had the rest of that time off. That was what I found. So, you know, you're paying to be there. But actually, I, I, I don't feel I learned. I, 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 my uni education was from Mervyn. It wasn't. It, I mean, one lecturer was really good, but then they made him leave because he hadn't done a master's there. And it's the same with Mervyn. I got I got Mervin a job actually as a lecturer. And then they said, right, well, if you want to come back, you need to do a master's here. So they got rid of their two people who'd actually worked in telly because they didn't have a degree at York St John. So it was all a bit, you, you know, we all we all lost out over that.
0: Got a couple of little stats on Mervyn Cumming, who was um, who sadly passed away not so long ago. A um, hundred episodes of Coronation Street, hundred and twenty-seven episodes of Emmerdale, forty-one episodes of EastEnders, as well as Family Affairs, Brookside, Biker Grove, and lots of others too. So his credits are very impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean Merv. I think Merv is actually why I do what I do now because, uh, bless him, he'd get, he gave me so much time. We'd go to the pub and I'd just, like, ask him so many questions about his career. And, like, his CV mm. at that time was just this, you know, two two pages of A4 with those numbers. But, like, I remember his IMDb page at the time had just, like, five series-level credits. So I'd borrow his VHS tapes and I'd try and work out the uh, air dates from the adverts that were still on the tape. I'd like, oh, yeah, okay, so it's a TV Times 1986. So if that's on then, then Emmerdale was being shown Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I was updating his IMDb for him. And what really I, I especially when Merv passed away um, at the start of this year, you know looking back, I really realised that he kind of he had a bigger impact on me than I realised because I thought I'll follow his footsteps to be a director. Actually, I spent so much time with him, but um, you know, people at uni didn't really get it. My my mum and dad didn't really get it. They were like, why aren't you hanging out with people your own age? But I was just A, I was fascinated by his career and he learnt he taught me so much, but he was such wonderful company. And he had this um he'd he'd had elocution lessons. So he 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 had this beautiful, beautiful, softly spoken voice and he loved to pint. And so we used to just go to the Golden Slipper in York. We'd sit at the same table and I'd just ask him loads of stuff about Coronation Street. And I'd borrow his tapes and then bring them back. And then I'd borrow like El Dorado, <laughs> you know. And he remembers like El Dorado, which was this famously catastrophic series that the BBC sort of made. Yes, Merv right. di- directed 10% of El Dorado. And he remembers on the first at the screening. Oh no, it was at the uh, he left the screening of the first episode because it was so bad. But in the first week of production, there were three directors around the pool and the director just took the script and chucked it into the swimming pool. And Merv said, That good, eh? That's <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. like it was just this you know, it was oh, dear. they were building the sets <laughs> while they were still like while they were doing it, you know. But I found that fascinating and like, you know, Everyone else on my on my course were like interested in current TV that was being made then, and I was interested in stuff from like nineteen ninety two. Yes, uh, and it's been the same ever since. Yeah, as you've probably gathered. But yeah, so Merv had a huge huge impact on me, as as did Frank. You know, and so making that little documentary, mm. it was an absolute pleasure. It was, but like going down with Merv and I, we shared a hotel room in in Edgeware. You know, like a B and B. And it, like, it was, like, such a dive. You know, the, the, the bedroom mirror had been, like, at some stage smashed, and it was held together by chewing gum. Oh, and, no. and, like, the, the sink had been pulled off the wall, so it was held with a chain, with a chain connecting it to the wall. Oh, we no. had some adventures. <laughs> and Meredith was a, a blessing. He used to direct in his sleep. So in middle of the night, you'd go, and once more, please. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd be like, I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking the first time it happened. Like, what's going on? Now, what's more, please. <laughs> Bless him. so yeah he he'd keep you awake with his with his snoring, bless him, he snored like I've never heard anything like I've never heard anything like it, and then he'd be directing in his sleep uh oh so many happy, happy happy days and and he was brilliant with actors and um and he you know he was shooting he shot that documentary uh i'd ask I was asking Frank the questions and worked out the locations, and Merv shot it and did the sound and so it, the two of us did everything and then I'd edit it with some very crude, but that's I thought that's how you made telly. And then, of course, it's like with Tanner, the BFI got in touch and said, we'd like to show your documentary. So, you know, I'm 22 and one film's been nominated for an award and this documentary's been shown at the BFI. So it's all, I'm just, this is easy. Oh, this is straightforward. And I, I didn't learn enough. I really should have gone off and done loads and loads of work experience. I did work experience on Coronation Street, where I brought—I was trying to get Mervin back directing it—and so I, I brought Mervin with me on my last day, and I was like walking Merv around the set, and, and and like they were like, "Who's this work experience lad? He's just like bringing." An old director with him, you know, and and trying to, trying to, you know, I should have been focusing on trying to get myself a job, but I was like, this is Mervyn. He directed 100 episodes and you haven't used him for five years, so how about it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but that's like, I use that ethos now, though, with like the podcast. It's like, if people are going to be kind enough to give me their time I've mm. got to find a way to say thank you so I'll I'll edit them a showreel yeah. or I'll update their IMDB you know things that they don't necessarily know how to do or just haven't mm. thought about doing it you know um, and that was the thing I always felt like if your IMDB looks you know like a- Ashley Gunstock I edited Ashley's showreel earlier this year and he's done like five short films in the last four years which is a decent amount of material, especially just before a pandemic. So I'm like, actually, we need to get these on your INDB. You know, anyone looking at it is going to go, wow, you know, this, this guy's been been working. that, like, And that was always my thing with Merv or with Ian Cullen. I was always updating Ian's showreel. And like, yeah, murder by appointment was like, I, I, I used... I'd say to Murph, who did you enjoy working with? And let's try and get them to do this short film.
0: Actually, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned uh, Ian Cullen because he is someone that I, I wanted to ask you about. Once again, sadly passed away recently. He was always a favorite of mine because one of my favorite things of all time is when the boat comes in uh, and Ian Cullen was uh, played Geordie Watson. George, Geordie the, Watson. The uh, Tyneside Labor MP had a great double act with Roger Avon as his election agent and was sort of this wonderful new nemesis or foil to the anti-hero jack ford played by james bolum and i just always thought with when the boat comes in it was so real that you forgot they were actors which is like the bill and like some of these other things and i always and i was quite interested when i was researching for our conversation today um and i thought yeah i must ask you about ian cullen because he obviously played a big part. In your career as well,
1: yeah, massive. Uh, I, I miss him every day, Miss uh, and Merv, but like Ian, Ian and I exchanged thousands of emails, and we hung out a lot. Like you know, he, I mean, Ian and Merv were at my wedding, as was Frank and Ronnie and Bernard, and you know, these are dear, dear friends. So that's that's one of the hardest things about time is that uh, some of these. People are, are are passing, and that's it's it's very sad. Ian, interesting, you mentioned Roger Avon because they were both up for the same part in Family Affairs. Ian got the part because the producer was a Z Chorus fan, so they were both both Ian and Roger. So Roger actually got a little cameo part in Family Affairs, but the part was more or less. Down, it was down to those two, and uh, that's that's. So, and I, I first saw Ian in in the Aztecs, Doctor Who, in the Aztecs, Christmas Day, nineteen ninety six. It was the first William Hartnell mm. story I saw, so I hadn't. I had a fondness for it, and yeah, I just wrote. Yeah, he, Mervyn had enjoyed working with Ian and thought he was a very good actor. Uh, and he what well, I mean, he was probably the best actor I've seen actually actually act right in front of me. I saw him do a uh, Christmas Carol, and he like he he moved. He he, he was moved to tears in. And he did it for real in the play. He, he actually told me a story about working with Merv on Family Affairs where the press were in and in the scene, Ian's character had to cry. And Merv, Ian later told me, he said, was getting a bit excited about these, you know, press fair, felt he had to, okay, well, have the, have the tears in for the actors, please. And Ian gave Merv a ticking off, said, look, don't start acting like a, in front of the press. If you want me to cry, I'll cry. You've only got to ask me. I'm an actor, you know. I yeah. sort of, but but in a way that built their relationship because there was a clear respect. But also, that was a great thing. Ian, Ian had the most acerbic wits. I remember uh, I was interested in filming the behind the scenes of Murder by Appointment because I was just like, you know, I'm 22, 21, and there's Fanula Elwood from Emmerdale. there's Ian Cullen from Family Affairs. I've got a BAFTA nominated director doing it. This is great, you know. I wasn't actually paying much attention to this, and Frank was there watching it, so I thought, well, between them, they've got. it.
0: Yeah, sorry. This, by the way, is um, your uh, short film adaptation of one of Frank Williams' plays, Murder by Appointment. Yeah. And,
1: and when I say adaptation, it was. A, I didn't. It was just photocopy the script and save the lines, and we kind of shot it like multi-camera in one. I like a period uh, house again, Henry Ayrton's house. Because it, because he had like period, you know, an old bookcase. I thought, well, oh, that'll that'll look period, <laughs> and an old townhouse in Beverly, you know. But it wasn't a hell of a lot of thought. And I remember Ian saying, "I said, oh, why don't we do a shot here?" Ian said, "Oh, Ollie's come back to life," because, <laughs> because. Because Merv was doing it, you know, and I was just taking the, the footage. But, but I think that's, that again, it, I wasn't supposed to be doing it. I mean, I feel like now by documenting what these talented and clever people do is where I'm supposed to be. I was never supposed to be doing it myself. I mean, I did do it for a bit. I did a couple of years at ITV. I did seven years at a film and TV agency promoting movies. I was happiest doing the special features. I did special features for Blu-ray and DVD on feature films. I I did enjoy that, but I am happiest, I think, celebrating other people. I did try. I I did try. The last short film I made was called Extended Rest. It was a snooker film. I think it was the best thing I did, and I, I used a crew who I'd worked with from ITV, you know, I, I gave everyone a bit of pocket money. None of, you know, it was all like quid pro quo, quid pro quo, which I can never say. I'd do showreels of the actors or
0: websites. Or Eric Richard might have said, a, a 50 quid and a cheese sandwich job.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, again, you're like, well, you know, if Eric, if Eric Richard is, uh, you know, is keen to support youngsters, that was the thing. It was just the same as Frank supporting me. I mean, when I went to, um, to be a runner in London, I'd never, I'd been to London as a seven year old kid on like a day trip. You know, I didn't know London. I just knew that Frank lived there and I had an interview at a production company, um, off the back of doing work experience on Corey, the archivist recommending me to someone like a year, a year or so later. So I said, Frank, I've got an interview. Can I come and stay with you? Cause he was the only person I knew. Uh, He said, yes, of course you can, Ollie." The day before I'm going down, they called me and said, actually, do you just want to do a week's running? We'll just see what you like. Uh, Because they'd obviously had someone, you know, go on holiday or something like that. And uh, so then I said, well, Frank, can I stay for a week? He said, yeah, of course you can. Well, I'm there doing the dishes, you know, literally. That's what I was there to do. Do the dishes, empty bins, open doors, you know. And they said, you're archive, aren't you? Having done a week's work experience on Corrie and, and got on with the archivist, Yes, yes, I know archive. Oh, good. Well, our archive producer's on leave for three weeks, and his his cover has cancelled. Will you do it? I've been in London a few days, twenty three. Never worked in in this kind of world in my life, and suddenly I'm sat at this guy's desk, and I'm responsible. For this was um, it's it's on Channel Four now. It's called Sunday Brunch. It's like a, a daytime Sunday chill out, you know, sort of entertainment show. Back then, it was on the BBC called Something for the Weekend, and they used to do as well as promoting um the guests. You know, clips of it of, you could have like we had Meatloaf on, you know, so you'd like do like a nice VT of Meatloaf tracks. We also had something called Deja View, where you had to the viewers had to guess the year from. Three clips from a BBC classic, and then a a top of a pops clip. So I thought, well, I'm staying with Frank. I'll do Dad's Army, and then Frank will get a royalty free, and it'll cover my it will cover my stay. And we did, and I used the recruit because Frank was in that episode so much. And so um, yeah, that was uh, a a wonderful episode. episode. So I thought, well, you know, because Frank, bless him, let me let me stay for that time and then then they said well what we'll do is because this guy came back and said i've done a good job this is again they credited me on bbc2 as a producer Mm. because i was covering this guy so i'm 23 you can imagine can not you i've just had a documentary shown at the bfi i've had films not uh, nominated for an award and then i'm a producer on tv 23 easy Easy peasy, you know, and it all, I wasn't actually learning a hell of a lot. I just thought this is, you know, go with the flow. So like my career suddenly snowballed quite fast. And then I was going for like another job as an, like the guy said, yeah, you can be my assistant. So I went back to Frank and I said, look, I've stayed here for a month having dinner upstairs with Frank and Ronnie. Ronnie was a dancer in the dad's army a stage show and they've been good uh, Ronnie Grange. Ronnie Grange. Um a wonderful, wonderful man in his own right, you know. Um and and when I first met, really took a back seat, didn't want to interfere, you know. But, but as they call it, they're good companions. You know, they, they they share the house and have done for like the last 20 years, and they're best friends. I remember having dinner with Frank and Ronnie, and I said th- I wrote this check and said, I've stayed here for a month, I'll find somewhere to stay, I'm just really grateful. And Ronnie said. Will you do it or shall I, Frank? Uh, and Frank said, yes, you do it, Ronnie. And they tore the check up and said, everyone needs a help to start their career. You can stay. Oh, so, isn't
0: that wonderful? Oh, That's wonderful.
1: I mean, talk about a rose-tinted introduction to London life. I'm living with these two English gents in... I mean, Frank's only lived in two houses. So the house he lives in now... Is the house he lived in when he was making Dad's Army? And so there, I I remember being sat in his front lounge, and he, and he said, "Oh, I remember Arthur sat in that chair once." And he said, and I was like, oh. and "That's the thing. It's like that. You, you if the my house is full of photos from yeah, the pantomimes, or or like rare like Dad's Army photos of them all, all together on like do's and stuff." So like, I'm just looking around, going, "Wow," and to just live there. so i i helped frank i did his showreel i got him a new agent cuz like you know he'd been with he'd been with an agent for years who literally got him no work so there's a big gap in frank's resume really where like he didn't do any telly in like the 90s cuz he just had this agent who just wasn't up, up, wasn't up to grade really but out, frank's a very loyal kind person so he didn't really want to lose this guy but then, in the end, this guy was like, "Well, I'm going to jack it in Frank because he's not really working." So then, I helped Frank get like a, a proper agent. So it was just my way of trying to help, and I'd, I'd get little little clips on, or, or try and help Frank get his plays with a with a different agent, things like that. So it was a very very happy year.
0: The Frank Williams story, which was was really fascinating, and just it was interesting to see. And 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 you were alluding to the um you know the memorabilia and everything in Frank's house. One of the most interesting or nicest parts of the documentary for me were the home movies when they were on tour with the stage show. And, you know, it showed, um, uh, Edward Sinclair and, uh, Bill Pertwee and the cast, they're out signing autographs. And it really, really did look like they were having a, a wonderful time.
1: Yeah. They, they were, they were very, very good friends. That's when Frank met Ronnie as well. And so the four of them would go out for dinner and just hang out and, uh, that sort of mythical 1976 hot summer um uh, they're just walking about having ice cream and stuff like that it's interesting because like it's frank is a very frank's probably the most one of the most content people i know like frank doesn't moan He, he he's a very happy and fulfilled man i think and uh he's very happy to talk about dad's army even after all these years
0: I can't see, you reverence. Can I hold your hand? No,
1: you may not hold my hand. Mind where you're putting that torch. They want the Germans to see it. Oh, dash, this black and I can't see a thing. Hey, your reverence, who's that lurking behind the static water tank? <laughs> Put that night out! Evening, Mrs. Fox. Evening, Mr. Blewett. Clearly, <laughs> Mr. Gateman, have you no tact? or burn my Oh, for
0: goodness'
1: sake! If I hear those words just once, Mike. I should go potty. Who is it? It's me, Chief Warnodges. That's who it is. I think Bill. Bill Pertwee. When I met Bill, I don't think Bill was in the best of health. But you know, he was writing all these books about Dad's Army, but he, he didn't necessarily want to talk about it. Frank always took a back seat when Bill was around because we we actually tried to. Here's an exclusive for you, George. We we. Tried to remake that documentary in HD when I got a a job at an agency who wanted to move into video production. We remade that documentary in HD as like a test and we got Mervyn to direct it. Bill Purdy wouldn't, wouldn't do it. He was, he was, we we filmed at Bressingham. Bill was not in a very good mood, but I think that was more to, I don't know, I don't know what was going on, but Frank found it quite obsessing that Bill wasn't like that jovial, man you saw in the footage, the cine footage, which was obviously how who Bill was. As he got older, he got a bit more sort of irascible.
0: Yeah, look, that's that's interesting because when you read, for instance, his book, you know, the way it is written in such a nice, very warm, friendly style, but listening to his uh, interview actually um, on the Dad's Army podcast, not that he was rude or ill-mannered, not at all. And he was fascinating to listen to, but he didn't seem to have that same sort of warmth that emanated from his writing no
1: i mean i saw him um i went with frank that was another wonderful thing the heritage foundation were a sort of a blue plaque charity foundation and frank and ronnie were great supporters of that and they would take me to these sort of sunday lunches you know there'd be a perry and croft day there was a Heidi hide day so and frank bless him would take me around. He introduced me to Paul Shane and I had a long conversation with Paul Shane. He'd introduce me to Philip Maddock, who I was a huge admirer of. And so we were just chatting away and Ronnie said, um, Philip, could you take, have a photo with, with young Oll here? And we had this sort of photo and, and Philip Maddock was more or less still chatting away. And, um, then Ronnie said, young Oll's a filmmaker. Is he really? Get that camera out again, Grange. I'll smile wider. <laughs> and he is amazing. And Philip was going to do a Dad's Army podcast. Oh, wow. And I literally yeah. spoke to him like a couple of weeks before he died. We, 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 we'd we arranged to do it. So um, that was such a shame. I'd have loved to have, have, you know, spent more time chatting to him. To go back, sorry, I'm doing a tangent, but Bill Pertwee was at one of these heritage dues and got up on stage and... Proudly talked about a charity he was supporting and how everyone in the room really should get behind it. And as he walked, as he got back off the stage we actually went up twice he went back up on stage to interrupt someone else who was already who was already up there because he'd forgotten <laughs> to say something and so he wanted to say it and as he walked down off the stage he passed me he it was lovely he, he gave me this very Chief Hodges wink and a smile and patted me on the shoulder and it was so lovely and so that's how I like to think of Bill Pertwee where he seemed on form it could just be that he just didn't like getting old and uh, but yeah he didn't want to do the he didn't Want to do the documentary. You know, we chatted to Michael Knowles, we chatted to Jeffrey Holland, you know, all these lovely people who were kind enough on their day at Bressingham, and Pamela Condell I, I I met, and she was lovely. But yeah, it was a it was a just a fun, great big fun time.
0: The interesting thing about Frank Williams and Dad's Army is that he was only in half the episodes, but he made such an impact on the show, I think. He, you know, you imagine him in it constantly, but he wasn't, and, and some of those episodes he only had, you know, perhaps Perhaps a line or, or two, but he he made such an impact. Do you have a particular favourite Frank Williams moment as the vicar?
1: Yeah, uh, it's when the um, is it the French ambassador and Frank leans in to get a kiss. He does- <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's Frank's biggest. Yes. I think that's the biggest laugh he gets. Uh, yeah. uh, be- but yeah. because it's location, <laughs> it kind of gets swept away from the timing of the location yeah. insert. But yeah. it's a massive laugh i mean one of my favorite frank roles is actually frank did an episode of bergerac where he was uh, and the funny thing is frank grew a beard in 1983 to try and get different kind of roles he was in the canteen at television center chatting to nicholas courtney uh, who was a brigadier in doctor who and they were great friends because they went to vienna together in 1977 did a play together otherwise engaged i think frank was in the canteen chatting to nick courtney and Graham Harper was chatting to Nick Courtney in the canteen. And it was Graham Harper who was doing this Bergerac and said to Nick Courtney, can you find out if Frank Williams has still got that beard? And Frank went off to do one scene as like a librarian with John Nettles. And, I, <laughs> and they realise... Bergerac realises that uh, a page has been torn out. Some vital evidence has been torn out. And Frank, this librarian, gets the closing gag where he slams the book closed. and goes, well, that really is very naughty. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's one of my favourites uh, for, for Frank. Yes. I, I, I love that really is very naughty. Um, that sort of um, <laughs> tetchy, delivery that Frank does so well, so clips That's him, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there was a great yeah. short film Frank made, which he showed me, which was the sort of Tales of the Unexpected style of short he did in 1994 for a filmmaker called Simon Rumley, who's gone on to do uh, feature films in his own right. And it was this thing with, uh, with an old gentleman who puts an ad in that he wants to meet a young man for £10,000 to cook his thumb. And it's right. completely bizarre. It's so random. And Frank is superb in it. Superb. At that time, like he didn't work on telly for another 12, 15 years. And mm. you think, oh, you know, he should have, he should have been. But I, I don't think he got enough... When you look at his CV, I mean, he did a he did a, a, a he played an army major in the late eighties on a series called Screen One for Moira Armstrong. He's excellent in that. He had a
0: um, he had a very brief cameo in the original House of Cards with Ian Richardson as the Tory Party treasurer who's getting a big briefcase full of cash in some dodgy political deal. Um, I, just very quickly, there's one moment in Dad's Army that. Um, I really love with him and that was when it was in All Is Safely Gathered In and Hodges had had a a near miss in the air raid the night before
1: I I must talk to you. Oh hello Mr Hodges I hear you had
0: rather a narrow escape last night Narrow escape? It was a miracle It landed right there beside me If it had gone off I wouldn't be here to talk to you now (laughs) I should have been killed I was spared Why me? Why me? Answer me that! Why me? Why? 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 I can't think. (laughs) He did play that exasperation so well. And in fact, it's interesting in 2016 when they did the movie, and he just had the brief cameo as the vicar. And, you know, it was almost as if you didn't sense that it was nearly half a century on. You know, he just, he was the vicar again.
1: I was talking to him while he was doing that. When he arrived at that location, the entire cast and crew. Gave him a standing ovation as he walked in.
0: Oh, did they? One- wonderful. That's which is wonderful. just yeah.
1: sending shivers. Because I, I did the special features for that movie. I, I was working at this agency. Um, I'd finished at ITV. I went back to this agency. And I really wanted to do more work on special features. Because I'd done the, the special features as a freelancer for Zed Cars and Dixon and Doc Green. Best, best gigs I ever did. I went to Universal Pictures... I found who the guy was who was looking after the marketing. I said, I need to do the special features for this film. I'm your man. I am the only guy in London who should be working on this. I lived with a member of the cast. I did a podcast. I'm the guy. And fair play. He went, okay. <laughs> so, um, and I got sent all of the. Uh, behind-the-scenes footage, and I made two little featurettes. One was called Legacy and the Women of Warmington, Catherine Zeta-Jones, because they all stayed in the same hotel in Beverly, the Beverly Arms, I think. And Catherine Zeta-Jones was, like, coming up to Frank, like, fangirling about meeting the vicar from Dad's army.
0: Yeah. You know, and and,
1: and, um, Ronnie took a photo of Frank in his costume in the pub before, because they had, like, closed sets and things like that, and Frank just looks... 10 years old, the happiness at being back.
0: And there's a nice positive vibe to end on. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Oliver as much as I did. What a treat that was. And uh, we really really appreciate him being so generous with his time and so many of these wonderful stories, not only about the bill and Dad's army, but about his remarkable career as well. Please stick around after the credits. There's a little bit more, including a little anecdote about Robert Hardy's memorial service which uh, really just segues very nicely from our chat about the 2016 Dad's Army movie. Uh, The newsletter for this episode also has um, some additional links and a little more background information as well. Check out Oliver's books, devonfirebooks.com. There's the latest updated version of All Memories Great and Small and, of course, Witness Statements, Making the Bill Series 1 to 3. And please check out the entire back catalogue of the Bill podcast. Um, You can get lost in there for hours and hours and hours it's just wonderful find that on soundcloud and many other platforms as well in terms of fair use of copyrighted material for commentary and critique our policy for that is at the deck four web page thank you to steve collins for technical support thank you to gainesville for the music thank you to oliver once again and thank you to you for listening Original music by Gainesville. Keeping the spirit of Tom Petty alive in Europe and playing great classic rock and roll. Check them out at gainesville-band.de and link to their socials. The Deck 4 podcast is also brought to you in association with tellmewheretogo.com. If you love travel, now more than ever, it's important to listen to the experts. The Armstrong and Burton book
1: series, Dark Secrets Hoard Powerful Families in 1980s Britain, available from Amazon and book retailers everywhere. Find out more. Link to the Deck 4 web and Facebook pages and subscribe to the Deck 4 newsletter, all at georgefairbrother.com.
0: I thought Michael Gambon actually was I thought his Godfrey was very good His
1: Godfrey was excellent um, He
0: was probably um, I, I thought that his was probably the most faithful to perhaps the original character but there was actually there was one marvellous line in that that I thought just epitomised the spirit of the original where they suspected Sergeant Wilson of being a spy and I think it was Pikey that says oh, I don't think he's a spy he would have he he mentioned it <laughs> you know, and I thought and so, um, and the cast, I mean, it was a very impressive cast, wasn't it? With Alison Stedman and Toby Jones, it was Bill Nye.
1: Very quick Michael Gambon story. I went to Robert Hardy's memorial service. I was a guest of Carol Drinkwater. I sat down, behind me was Michael Gambon, to the left. Behind me was Michael Gambon. To my left was Maggie Smith. To my right was Nigel Havers, and in front of me was Peter Davison. And when we, and I'm just like, what am I doing here? This is insane. And as we went outside at the end, I was chatting with Peter, and Michael Gambon's son came up to Peter and said, "Would it be okay if my dad said hello to you?" And Peter said, "Your dad wants to say hello to me. <laughs> I want to say hello to him." <laughs> you know. But it was just this wonderful example of there's, yeah. there's really no. You can't make assumptions can you about like who who people are either starstruck by or i just i just love that humility with with i mean that was funny because carol leaned over to give peter a kiss and more or less had her bottom in nigel havers's face and nigel havers did his classic sort of like you know yeah british sort of and i said oh i'm, I'm sorry about this and he said it's okay just don't let it happen yeah. again and i suddenly got the giggles you know uh I mean, I rang Frank on his 90th. I sent him a little hamper, a best of British hamper, so he could have some wine and some cheese and biscuits and things like that. And, uh, you know, you know, he's 90, but he's still he's still got all... I his eyesight's not so good, and he says he finds it harder to move around now, but he's 90. His brain is still completely active and, and there, which is fantastic. And, um, you know, he, he's never taken Dad's Army for granted when uh, when the repeats are on, as they are more or less permanently on the beep. Any time they get to um, the last episode, he always says, well, that'll be Batman. And he's always pleasantly surprised when they start again. You know, he was in every episode of the last series. There's only, a, like, one a piece, that he's not in in the previous two. So he, the, the part did sort of grow. Because I've been watching uh, Are You Being Served lately and, and Frank would have loved to have done that he said he literally was he never got anywhere near that it's funny isn't it and it was Dave. Well, it was he'd worked with perry and croft before dad's army so it's not like there was sort of favoritism from one or the other you know they both loved him and both continued to use him when i look at something like tanner the amount of thought that went into tanner was minute <laughs> was with minuscule and the amount of thought that goes into the podcast I mean I've got a spreadsheet for everything now there was no Excel what was that I, I, I like making making all this early I mean, the dad's army one was the Frank one was probably the best thing I did as, as a student and, um, but yeah the, the, like <laughs> as a filmmaker I was a lazy self-indulgent filmmaker which I'm more than happy to talk about because I had a great time but yeah I did one on that, that's why I've started doing the, the little titles on the one-to-one. I did this flame trailer. It's because I cocked up the, um, I did everyone's intro and I said, and the dame, Trudy Gludwin, G- Goodwin. oh, I put my teeth back in. And I thought, I'm not going to just say all that again. And, I've, and I was like cutting it, I was like, that's awful, how could you do that? And then you just feel embarrassed and a dip. So um, I thought I'll do a trailer and make it all look like it was like a title sequence when really it's just covering a cock up. <laughs>